Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989 HeritageDigital.com Rock and roll! It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Tuesday, October 5th. I hope you all are doing well. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, Gamecocks over the weekend won a game. That's good. Third win of the season. That's good. Uh, I've talked about winning here before and how, you know, this program hasn't uh, hasn't done well in that category uh, in recent years. So you always have to I mean, you always have to celebrate wins, obviously. Um, 23 to 14, it was ugly. A weird second half, uh, one of the weirdest second halves of football, I think, ever at Williams-Brice Stadium with all the back and forth and the fumble. Um, And uh, thanks to Heritage Digital, by the way, for uh, sponsoring the news and notes segment. By the way, uh, just a couple of of news notes, actually. Vanderbilt, Carolina, a couple of weeks, kicks off 4 p.m. SEC Network. Uh, this weekend, of course, at Tennessee at noon. Um, okay, so back to the game. It, it, you know, it started off pretty well. You know, I thought South Carolina's offense coming out, uh, being aggressive, throwing the ball with Luke Doty and the receivers was was good. Wish they could have punched it in the end zone on the first drive. You know, drives keep bogging down. Um, and then there was the drop on fourth and five. Uh, drops keep stalling it. Penalties keep stalling it. Blocking keeps stalling it. Um, you know, hard to disagree with the strategy play calling wise, uh, in the first half, just because, you know, I thought, Hey, you know, you got to, I said all week last week, you got to find a way to try to run it. And one of those ways I mentioned was throwing to set up the run and, uh, didn't work. Uh, Carolina scratched out 102 rushing yards, but 52 of those came on two reverses. Good play calls by Josh Van. Now, second half. Possessions were limited. Uh, you know, the offense obviously bogged down until the final drive, but I thought there were some glimmers of hope on that final drive for the clinching field goal uh, because Kevin Harris got loose for some yards rushing. McDowell got loose for some. 
uh, and they drove down the field and did what they had to do to win the game. So, you know, I think this offense, the key is to capitalize it. I think they need to keep continue to tweak. Uh, I think that they need to continue to try to find ways to run the football, uh, whether that's using a lead blocker or running more power or what. You know, I, I did think that there was a step forward as far as offensive coordinator play calling, all that goes. Still some, still some ones I think you want to get back third and five run up the middle. I don't know about that, but uh, you know it was it was improvement, and, and I think it kind of showed you that you know this offense isn't just some kind of like boring up the middle kind of deal uh, when they don't want it to be. I mean, it, it's it's essentially a lot of what Joe Brady did with the Panthers. And, and so digging into it a little bit, you know, I, I look at it and I look at LSU and LSU, keep in mind, hired two guys from the Panthers staff that knew Brady, just like South Carolina did. And uh, now those guys don't have the temple or whatever, but I, I, I'm not, I haven't focused a whole lot on Marcus Satterfield and temple and, and all that. That was a while back. I'm more focused on what he's doing here. Um, and you look at LSU's offense, and, and they're scratching their heads down there talking about how they don't understand why they can't run the football. Um, and you go back to 2019 a little bit, and that great offense they had at LSU was really a pass-first kind of deal, and then Burrow would get yards running, and they had uh, Clyde Hilaire Edwards – or Edwards Hilaire. I don't, I don't have his name in front of me. Uh, but the little back that uh, ended up being really tough, you know, uh, and he would get yards, but it wasn't exactly a line it up and 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 win kind of deal. It was a more of a you know spread you out, throw it, throw it, throw it, and then we can run it uh, with Burrow or otherwise. And 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 so you kind of start thinking about that system, and you're like, well, yeah, I think it's a hell of a system uh, if you can get it going. But it, it may just be that it is a pass first kind of deal. Now, you know, I, I, Carolina this year. Are they set up to do that? You know, I wouldn't say it would be ideal. You got a young quarterback that's still learning. You have, you know, obviously there were some drops at receiver. I I think receiver is coming along enough. I think, you know, obviously EJ Jenkins, when he's been in at receiver, has shown he can make plays. Like there's no adjustment, you know, that I can tell athletically from St. Francis to here. Um, And 6'7", you know, big freaky guy. I mean, getting the ball, Van's playing, Van's playing out of his mind. Yeah, Van missed practice last week and still shows up and, and has a huge impact on the game. You know, Jalen Brooks, no drops over the weekend, probably getting better. Uh, you know, you still have Amari and Brown, who you got to get going down the field, and uh, Nick Muse. I mean, you have some options in the passing game, and, and, and you, they showed that against Troy earlier. Um and, and maybe that helps them find a way to run the football. I mean, it didn't really until late against Troy, but they did finally start running it late. Now the same thing happened with East Carolina. You know, you, you look and you see that game. Juju McDowell comes in, kind of saves the day with outside zone. Uh, and those running plays, and then it kind of disappeared again. Uh, so you sort of wonder about it. But I will say that reporting this week, I think that um, – I think there's some glimmer of hope there. Uh, and for those of you that, you know, think that the key to modern offense in college football is to chuck it around the yard, you, you may get your wish. Um, I don't necessarily think that, but 
I also think that, you know, it's good to have a good passing game. Um, and sometimes if you can't run it, you have to throw it. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. I mean, you know, you look at Tennessee and we're going to talk about Tennessee some last week or about what they did last week. And obviously it was very impressive, but you know, they ran the football and, you know, there's some teams struggling out there right now that, that are struggling to run the football. Uh, and, and that's still very important running the ball, stop the run. It's amazing how, no matter what happens in this game, you know, that you're not going to have a lot of success. If you can't run it, you're not going to have a lot of success. If you can't stop the run defense, disappointing on third down. Um, you know, if you look at this defense, South Carolina, uh, first two games, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, two for 21 on third down. Those teams were. Georgia went nine for 12, which is 75%. Kentucky was right at 50%. And then Troy was eight for 15, a little over 50%. That number, they need to kind of get back in the 30% range. And that's a big key for this weekend because as fast as Tennessee goes on offense, if you can get them off the field, you know, they're not running that much clock and that they trot their defense right back out there. Um, and that's the way you normally beat a team that likes to go fast is – you hold them to some three and outs. They don't run a lot of clock. Uh, and then you get the ball. Of course, this past weekend, you know, I'm looking at the TV, watching Tennessee and Missouri. It's 28 nothing balls. Missouri had had the ball. end of the first quarter almost. And Missouri had had the ball for like 11 minutes, Tennessee three. So it didn't matter in that game. So, you know, you get big played to death. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter if you run the clock. But we all remember the Spurrier era, hopefully. And um, although it's – fading quickly uh and you remember those games against clemson and chad morris when the tigers would go really really fast what spurrier did was he they were just very methodical and drove the ball down the field and uh they got some three and outs on on defense and you look at the time of possession at the end of the game and they didn't give clemson a chance to beat him because clemson didn't have the ball um same thing with missouri when josh heupel was there and will muschamp had such a good uh it was a two game. It was two games. They did well. Uh, the one in Columbia, thirty-one twenty-one, and the one out there, thirty-one thirteen. They just Carolina kept the ball and got them off the field. Um, and and that's sort of the key there uh, this weekend. But we'll talk about this weekend later. More Troy. You know, it was disappointing. At the same time, defensively, you know, this team continues to get key interceptions. They continue to score points on defense. Uh, I think that's huge. You know, David Spalding, here's a guy that was at Georgia Southern last year. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't expect him to start and play a lot like he was. I thought he was maybe a year away. Uh, but they saw something in him and liked him, and he's playing well, and the pick six was huge for his confidence. Uh, you look at Jalen Foster, he's still playing like a a great player. You know, was he perfect? No. He's 90-something percent of the way there. Uh, and continues to make an impact on this team. You know, Jamar Brown, uh, despite the, the the mistake he made on the fumble, flipping the ball in the air before he crossed the goal line. And, and guys, you know, I, it's a boneheaded decision. There, there's no there's no excuse for doing that, really. Um, at the same time, I see it in football every year. I see guys doing that. And I guess that, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and go, well, yeah, well, why would you ever want to do that? You have no self-awareness. Nobody's even around you. But, um, you, you know, until you're out there doing it, 
maybe you don't look down. You know, I mean, it, it's a it's a mistake I see happen more than you would think. Uh, I, I think the bigger news is this. I mean, you know, Brown got robbed sort of a, a, from an interception on a replay, um, and then he also blocked a punt. So, so this guy. Jamar Brown, who who got inserted because of Roderick's targeting penalty and some injuries. I think Jalen Dickerson was out for the game. He goes out there and just balls, you know, I think. I mean, you, you look for guys that can make plays that have a nose for the football, and there's a lot of those guys on defense. And Jamar Brown just goes out there and makes some things happen defensively and special teams. And that's been kind of the M.O. on him from the start, even when he was a linebacker. Muschamp and company, you know, recruited him out of St. Thomas Aquinas. They got a really good recommendation from his head coach, who I think is Jason Taylor. And uh, he's just struggled with injuries here and there and uh, now moving to safety. And in the preseason, he was out there at safety, running with the ones, and then he got hurt. Um, so it's been kind of a, a windy road for him. But I think that I, I think all in all, you take his performance, despite the fact he cost the team a touchdown, and the score would have been much prettier at 28-14, 30-14, whatever, um, and two defensive touchdowns. Uh, so you, you you take his performance, though, and you're like, well, you know, hold on. Let's not banish him to the bench because he made a boneheaded play that's more common than we think. So, you know, I, I just want to explain that, that, you know, that Jamar Brown, when you look at what he all did, I mean, I think that's, that's something to hang your hat on. Um, you know, the run fits kind of – disappeared or weren't that good against Troy in certain situations. Uh, still held him to like 138 yards rushing. That's not that bad. Uh, the Troy offense, I think, played their best game of the year. Chip Lindsey's a good offensive coach. He had a good plan, especially on third down. Um, but, you know, you just tip your hat to them. I think, you know, with all the talk heading into the game, Troy came in thinking they could win the game. And uh, they were right, and they hung in there. Uh, but the Gamecocks, you know, offensively shot themselves in the foot with penalties, missed blocks, you know, all kinds of things allowed drives in the first half to bog down. Uh, and then second half, the, the possessions were limited because Troy kept completing third downs and you had all the crazy plays and, and things like that, you know. But, uh, you know, kind of a dis- disappointing second half is what I would say. I thought the first half after Spalding's pick six, I was like, well, the offense has been moving it up and down the field. They're, they're more creative than they were, et cetera. And, and then in the second half, it would seem like, well, they'd hit a good play, call a good play, do this, do that, and then something would happen to bog them down. That can't keep happening, obviously. Uh, but there was light at the end of the tunnel, I felt, uh, with the offense, um, especially early and late. You know, that late drive probably gets a little understated because by the time the Gamecocks are driving – Everybody's mad because it's too it's too close for comfort. You know, you've had a touchdown that you, you know, missed because of a penalty, a defensive touchdown. Uh, you know, you've bogged down a bunch. You've had bad, you know, you had, I think they had a turnover, a fumble, uh, you know, sacks, things like that. So everybody's mad by that point. Um, but truth be told, they went down the field running the ball and throwing it, nice mix, and kick the field goal win the foot, to win the football game. I think Shane Beamer called it the four-minute offense. So, you know, all in all, I think there's some positives. Uh, I think looking ahead to Tennessee, obviously, with them putting up 62 points at Missouri, you worry. Uh, you worry about that, but more so, uh, you know, 
that's a concern, you know, because you look at what they did and it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's a lot of points. Uh, I don't care who you're playing in the SEC on the road doing that's pretty impressive. Missouri fired their D line coach afterward. And I, I think Missouri's defense has, has one of these problems like that we talk about with the NFL. You know, Steve Wilkes is their D coordinator. They paid him a bunch of money. He's a former NFL, I think, NFL head coach, uh, NFL DC. Those kids look confused. They're not playing fast. They were expecting to be better defensively. They're not. They're they're much much worse. Probably bottom of the league defensively. Um, and, and so you know, Tennessee offense is definitely a concern. You go out there and play crappy defense, and you're going to get run out of the building. You know, you're going to get run off the field. But what concerns me more is Tennessee's defense against a Missouri team that, that I've seen play a few shootouts under Eli Drinkwitz, you know, especially last year, and win. And I kind of kept thinking when it was like 28 to 10, I said, oh, Missouri will come back. But uh, what Tennessee did was they just they, – they made it – Missouri was able to drive it, but Tennessee wouldn't let them score. And – Quite frankly, if you're going to have a strategy at Tennessee with you going that fast on offense, that's what you need to do. So the Tennessee defense was a concern, especially matching up with South Carolina's offense, because they, you know, you, you sort of look at it and it's, it sounded kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it bend but not break, but they, you know, they were tough. I mean, they, they were a, an improved unit from the group that played Pitt or the group that played um, Florida earlier this year, I mean, they looked pretty much improved. So, you know, with the struggles on offense at South Carolina, and again, one touchdown offensively in a game is not going to cut it. That happened again Saturday. It's unacceptable. Um, you know, the chances of the Gamecocks going up to Knoxville and winning like a 23-14 game are slim, given what they've got on offense. Maybe not, but uh, that that's not the way you would anticipate this game playing out. So you're going to have to find a way to score. Um, and hopefully, like I said, the end drive of the Troy game, you can build on that and build on a good start. And I think the plan like they had with Troy is probably a smart deal. Unless you – now look, let me back up. Unless you kind of in practice figure out a different way to run the ball that you think will be effective, like lead blocker or whatever, Um. You know, you probably stick with the same point. Now, again, that's not ideal with a young quarterback and the receivers they've got and all that, but it worked a lot better than slamming it, like I said, up in there all the time over and over again. Um, so th those were some bright spots. And uh, like last week I said they needed to fix the blocking scheme. I thought, you know, as far as the offensive line goes, number one, I thought Vershawn Lee played well at, at guard. I think I'd probably keep him in there. Uh, he was a very consistent performer and actually got a game ball afterward from the staff, I think, offensive player of the game. Um, still issues at the other four spots. Uh, I, I can't tell you that I don't think they're confused anymore, but I can tell you that Saturday is a little bit more of an you know individual breakdown kind of deal. I still think they're playing tentative and still think they're playing confused, still think they need to simplify it even more if they can. Because uh, these guys, they're not playing confident. They're, they're stand, their fundamentals aren't there. They're playing high, off balance. I don't know if that's the way to play offensive line. Uh, and I've seen these guys not play that way. So there's a lot to correct. But 
I thought Troy, the Troy game, unlike Kentucky, where everybody just looked confused and Georgia and, and the EC, all the games where there's obviously confusion with people pass blocking here, run blocking there. I thought it was more of a, a fundamental breakdown, uh, mental breakdowns, uh, individual breakdowns uh, than it was anything with uh, the blocking scheme. You know, and and that's not to let that part of it off the hook. That's because I think confusion causes mental errors. But I thought that they did some things in practice, worked on it, and applied them in the game that you know seemed to make things a little simpler. The issue just was mistakes. You know, and they got to keep working on that. Simplify even more. Get that get those guys going. And I said on thebigspur.com, I said. You know, because everybody's getting on Greg Atkins and Marcus Satterfield and all that, and that's fine. I've been critical too. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's shocking. Um, but you know, as far as making some sort of change midseason or something like that, I mean, that doesn't work uh, a lot uh, when you're talking about a position coach. And I know everybody's going to be like, "Well, Missouri fired their D line coach or whatever." Eh, you know, that, that's probably. There's probably reasons for that, right? Um, and I think that on the offensive line, you know, unless you're going to get a new voice in there that's going to do things completely different, you know, you're, you're better off sticking it out. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this. I've seen offensive lines at South Carolina, especially during the Spurrier era, get off to horrendous starts. Horrendous. They make some personnel tweaks and changes, and then all of a sudden away we go. Uh, and by the end of the year, it's fine. They're running the ball. They're pass protecting pretty well, all that kind of stuff. So I've seen it gel before you talk. People talk all the time about the offensive line gelling. Uh, that's important. The gelling part is very important. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe there's some more moves they could make. I don't know, you know, uh, as far as playing some new players. But I, I don't know. You know, it, it is disappointing to me. When Jovan Gwynn, who's the toughest player on the team, he doesn't play tough when he's playing high and he's missing blocks and turning guys loose. And, you know, that's Jovan Gwynn's not, you know, a marshmallow guy. <laughs> he's a tough, tough cookie. And I'm sure it hurts him to have those things happen, you know, and he's a three year starter. You know, so I, I don't know that you replace him, but, you know, Eric Douglas, who was uh, flawless almost last year at center, he's getting beat sometimes. And it, it's just, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly interesting, you know, what has happened. And I know that, you know, the tackle situation is probably not ideal, you know, as far as, and you, you hear that from time to time when you're talking about the South Carolina offensive line. Well, they you don't know, really have any true tackle guys. And, you know, I don't know that I agree with that. I think there are tackles that are serviceable and so certainly should be better than they are. Dylan Wanham to me is is one. But, you know, even if that's the case, you expect the interior to be better. And Lee came in and played pretty well there. So, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of what happens moving forward. But uh, there were some encouraging things, despite the fact that, you know, hey, one touchdown again, and that's not going to cut it. Uh, and they need to quit the drops in the red zone. You know, EJ Jenkins to me is a player that uh, looks like he's coming on. 
Uh, I know before he had the situation where he missed time in the preseason, they had big plans for him. I mean, he, he's been a guy that's been kind of like they've been expecting to be a big contributor. You know, Jaheim Bell got some touches, two catches, 41 yards. Keep getting him the ball. I like what Nick Muse is doing now in the passing game. Uh, Josh Van continues to play well. Uh, Jalen Brooks, uh, not necessarily a noisy day, but didn't drop any. So that's encouraging. Uh, and, and like I said, South Carolina just may have to say, hey, look, you know, we, we can't run it, you know, so we're going to have to like be a passing team uh, this year. That's not ideal going into this game um, because if you try to match them with their tempo and you're not, and you're not getting off the field, uh, I mean, are you, and you're not, no, you're not staying on the field on offense uh, and you keep giving it back to them, then the tempo is going to wear your defense out pretty quick. And Tennessee, you know, if you're not executing offensively, Tennessee is going to probably have 45 in the second half instead of the first half this week because your defense is going to get gassed. You know, so it's a very problematic matchup in Knoxville this weekend. Things things will have to go differently for South Carolina, uh, in my opinion, on offense uh, for them to have a chance to win up there in, in a place that's been difficult to win over the years. And, you know, I'm sure Tennessee's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Hopefully the Gamecocks are. You know, I think there's still a lot of negativity out there, uh, which – yeah, you know, when, when things happen that, that like this, I mean, most fan bases do get negative. I mean, it's just – it's part of it. Uh, I would encourage everybody, though, to understand that every game's different. Um, every week's different. Every team's different. You can look around college football every Saturday and uh, know that that is an absolute fact. So, you know, you still got to have hope that, that things can change. Um like I said, at South Carolina, I've seen offensive lines gel. I've seen it at Tennessee. You remember 2019 when they lost to Georgia State and BYU? Didn't look like they could cross the 50 on offense. And then, boom, all of a sudden, that group gelled. I mean, you know, I, I was told by some people on the Georgia State staff after they beat them that uh, that was the worst offensive line they had ever seen. By midseason, they gelled. And all of a sudden, Tennessee could run and throw it. And they won six games in a row is the highlight of a very uneventful Jeremy Pruitt era. You know, like I said, I've seen it at South Carolina. I've seen it. At, you know, I, I thought Clemson's offensive line this past weekend played better. And, you know, Kobe Pryor, Kobe Pace went for 120 rushing yards against BC. I thought, you know, and they made one little change at guard. Uh, so, you know, not time to throw in the towel on these guys. It's frustrating. It's, just, it's more frustrating for them than it is for anybody watching them. You know, because like I said, this is not a group. It would be a different story if this group we had seen over the years was just god awful. You know, and so and some people say that. And look, I, I think you know some people look at last year and they're like, well, you know, nobody played defense and they weren't and they were bad at pass blocking. And I, you know, I think the pass blocking last year, you know, certainly was something that you circle and say, well, this that's if there's one thing they need to work on, it's this. But, you know, you, you had to understand, it's kind of funny because the same people that say they were horrible at pass blocking are the same people that thought Colin Hill was atrocious. And, and you know, I, I do think there were times Colin didn't let go of the ball. I think Colin around the LSU game lost all faith in all receivers with the exception of Shai Smith. Um, and then there were some protection issues with the backs and stuff. So it wasn't all on the line. 
last year. And I thought Hill actually and Doty both had time. Uh, you know, there were times where people would blitz or pass rush, but that happens in the SEC. You're never going to have a clean pocket every single down. That's just it's unrealistic. I mean, the defensive lines are too good and too athletic. Um, but that's last year. This year, obviously, there's been some struggles, and even against some teams that you wouldn't expect the Gamecocks to struggle with. You know, so South Carolina, they still have work to do. Um, like I said, you know, just from a play calling standpoint, you know, I thought 50% of the game was really good. You know, 28% or, you know, 32%, I couldn't tell. Then 18%, there were head scratchers. That's a big improvement uh, just from a play calling standpoint. And when I say I couldn't tell, you, you don't know what play was on because, you know, they're playing Olay up there on the offensive line. And there's a sack or a rush pass or something like that. Uh, you know, and I think Luke Doty, too, he's going to miss some guys here and there. That's just part of being a young quarterback. He'll eventually hit. Uh, but I also thought – I think if you take out the drops for him this year, uh, it, it's a really good story that he's playing as well as he is, especially with people that thought he – you know, Luke was just a guy that was an athlete that couldn't throw because that's just not true. It never was. But, you know, you watch last year and you watch the spring game and people want to take that small sample size not and not consider the circumstances uh, and just put a label on the guy, which is, you know, I guess that's kind of how, you know, some fan bases, including South Carolina, treat quarterbacks these days. And that's unfortunate, but uh, that's just the way it is. So Luke's playing well, and Luke's going to get better and better. I mean, you, you know – He's not throwing a bunch of picks, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, he's doing all right, hanging in there and all that. So, you know, and, and people probably need to, like, quit talking about him running, you know, because I'll say this. I don't, I don't know that that's the absolute best thing that he does. I think he's a great athlete. I think he can run when his foot's feeling okay and all that. But, you know, I – when he takes off running sometimes, I, you know, it, there needs to be a little bit better feel for it. And that too will come in time. But, you know, people being worried about him running the ball and all that, you know, that's just, uh, you know, it's just kind of is what it is right now. I, I don't think that's as big of a deal. I've, I've been impressed with his progress in the passing game and uh, he's only going to get better. And the receivers are playing better than I thought. Do Car- does Carolina have a bunch of game breakers? No. Do they have enough to where, kind of like Saturday, they can line up and pass it to potentially set up the run? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have more than, than we thought going in. Like, I, my major concern was the wide receivers and uh, on offense. And now, obviously, it's the offensive line. But, uh, you know, the wide receivers have stepped to credit Justin Stepp. I mean, you know, and, and I said I thought Jenkins – or at least one of the tight ends, be it Jenkins, Bell, or whoever, they should consider playing him at receiver. Jenkins has been at receiver all the preseason and all season. Uh, you know, he's been kind of behind Josh Van and outside. I, I think they should start moving him around because uh, that that dude's a matchup nightmare, and he's fearless. He's not afraid to go up and get the ball. He's got a good set of hands. I hope I don't jinx him and he drops a pass Saturday against Tennessee. But uh, EJ's a player. And, and kind of a guy that can be a weapon. I mean, that touchdown reception, he had the only touchdown of the game, just snatched it out of the air and, and ran, turned it upfield and ran. Very, very impressive 
uh, for a guy making a transition uh, to the SEC and FBS from FCS uh, and a guy that had a major setback during preseason where he missed time. So he's getting going now. Um, and, you know, I, and like I said, you know, overall major takeaway from Saturday was offensive line issues were a lot on the individual rather than the, the mass confusion stuff with the scheme. So credit the coaching staff for either simplifying or having the guys get it down better. I still think they're somewhat tentative and confused. I think that needs to change. So simplify even more, try to get it out even more. Uh, positive results in the run game, the last drive. Uh, and then, you know, the takeaway is, you know, this just may be a team that has to throw it and run it. And sometimes you get in a situation and, and that's it. It's shocking that this is the case. But, hey, you, you got to go with what works. And if they can uh, dial up the ball plays with rhythm, if Doty can make plays, throw it, uh, you know, I think, I think that would, you know, give South Carolina some sort of offense uh, to where they could take advantage of, you know, opportunities to win down the stretch. Don't know if it'll happen Saturday so much. I, you know, I've got a lot of doubts, uh, but we will see. All right, so thanks to Heritage Digital at uh, the beginning of the show uh, for sponsoring that segment of the Inside the Game Guys podcast. And so now it's time for the iHelp Consulting in ba- uh, mailbag, in bag. Ah, you can tell it's the first episode of the week, folks. Um, I've been telling you about iHelp Consulting and my friend Daniel Owens, big Gamecock fan. He can save your money, your business money, on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, whatever you want without sacrificing quality, and that's very important, folks. But you may be wondering how it works. It's pretty simple. You call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call or face-to-face meeting, and then he's going to look at your business. He's going to roll everything out. He's going to look for junk fees, how much you're paying, can you get a better rate, again, without sacrificing quality, and that type of stuff. Then you may kind of sit there and think, well, consultants in general, and look, I've been there. I know. I I scoff at consulting. Uh, People make a lot of money doing it. But consulting, uh, I'm not one that's going to go out. A lot of consultants I've met in various businesses you know, it, it's like, well, they, they're probably charging you more than it's worth. But that's not how Daniel works at iHelp. You may save $3,000, and he's only going to take a percentage of your savings. So you're always perpetually saving money. In other words, you might think, oh, if I save 2500 bucks a month, uh, he's going to charge me three grand. That's not how it works. Also, if he looks at it and, hey, you're doing all right, I can't save you any money, he's not going to charge you a dime. So there's no risk here. Support Daniel, support Gamecock-owned businesses. I know a lot of you believe in that. Uh, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? Be sure to tell him you heard about it on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. So there's two ways to get in the I help consulting mailbag. First way is to tweet to at the Big Spur pod. First one comes in from Gamecock fans. He's like, I'm going to leave the game stuff short. Glad we won. Got to run the ball somehow against Tennessee. But realistically, if you had to pick today, do we get Delpan or Williams? I still think I have hope for a bowl game and think that would help with them. Thanks. I, you know, I think Delp is going to Georgia. Gamecock staff is going to go down swinging. They've been there, been there with him for a long time, uh, recruiting him as well as they can. But 
the kid grew up in Georgia. I know he's got family connections to South Carolina. Uh, Georgia's rolling right now. And you have to think of it in terms of this, too, when it comes to recruiting. A lot of times it's not necessarily about just the football thing. I mean, West Forsyth High School, where you go, that's in Forsyth County. I used to live in Hall County, which is near there. That's what you call a dog stronghold. There are some counties in Georgia, Fulton, one, DeKalb, uh, Gwinnett, the areas around Atlanta. That it's a nice mix of fans from all SEC schools. Georgia is still dominant, but you got people from all over the place that have moved in. Precisely like that to a certain extent, but it's really more, it tilts more towards Georgia. And so you have to think about this. What about his friends that aren't football players to go to school? I mean, a lot of those guys are going, gals, gals and guys are going to UGA. Uh, he probably knows a ton of people that are going to UGA. And so there's, you know, that comfort level that, that we don't necessarily always think about when we're talking about recruiting, because we always, you know, you and I always sit there and think about it in terms of football, 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 and other things besides football do impact the, the comfort level. And, you know, with Delp too, you may be sitting there with Georgia's got a freshman tight end that's a stud, all world kind of guy, and he's not going to get to play. And they've got a couple of guys like that. Yeah, and that's fine. And, and, and that could negatively impact his comfort level at UGA versus South Carolina or elsewhere. So, you know, and that's fine too, uh, you know, but, but what's stronger, like him growing up and his lifelong friends all going to the same place and him being super comfortable with that, or the fact that he could get early playing time. Um, and, and you just different kids, different things play out. Uh, and so I, I would encourage people to think about it like that, uh, you know, and Georgia also, it's not like Georgia's come out of nowhere. Um, with this kid, they've been kind of in the driver's seat from the beginning. South Carolina's made a move. They've made it close, that kind of thing. Antonio Williams, I, I know that there's been some negativity and some concern about him. I think South Carolina's still in good shape. Uh, I think he sees the opportunity. The Gamecock staff has made him a priority since day one. You know, you watch out for Ole Miss. They're certainly exciting on offense this year. And Murphy Holloway, his stepdad, played basketball out in Oxford. Um, and Auburn's tried to make a move, but, uh, you know, unless Clemson offers Antonio Williams, I, I, I still think the Gamecocks are right there. That's not a guarantee, you know, cause there are no freaking guarantees in recruiting, but I think the Gamecocks are still in pretty good shape and the Gamecocks need him. Quite frankly, I think Clemson needs him too. I think that if they don't ultimately pull the trigger on him, then they're making a mistake. Um, cause even as, you know, star studded, so to speak, as their uh, receivers are on an annual basis. They, they don't have a lot of guys like him. So, you know, I I don't know what the holdup is there. Clemson offers is going to be very problematic. If things stay status quo, I like the Gamecocks on that. So uh, thanks so much for your question. Um, T. Salavo says, I don't claim to know anything about offensive football, um, but you're 100% right about our offensive line looking like bad synchronized swimmers, tight formations. Then we send multiple guys in motion. Then even more guys are pulling in different directions. Yeah, and, and like I said at the top, I think it looks more – it looked less – they looked less confused this past weekend, but still – when players are playing tentative and look slow, nine times out of ten, they're not tentative and slow players. 
they're confused. So it's mental. So that's something they got to keep working on, man. I mean, no matter what they have to do, I think they got to keep working on it. Uh, rat to Slavo rat. Uh, I'm just going to call you rat. Okay. Because I don't know how to pronounce your name and I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. So rat says he's got another tweet. The Vols scored 62 points on Saturday. The Gamecocks have managed to score 66 through four games. That's true. And that's, that's, that makes it a big challenge. I think uh, this weekend it's a, it's not based on how the two teams have played to this date. It's not a good matchup uh, because Tennessee can score. They can run the ball um, because South Carolina cannot do either. Uh, and also uh, for this reason too, like you look at Tennessee's games this year and in every game they've started fast, you know, they've come out like Pitt was a 14, I think 14 to 10 ball game or 10 to 10 ball game first quarter going back and forth. Then Pitt hung 24 on them in the second, pulled away, and ended up being 41-34. Florida was a 14-10 game at half uh, in favor of Florida second half. They outscored them. Maybe a 17-14 Florida at half because it was 38-14 was the final. Florida adjusted on defense and shut them out in the second half. Uh, and so that was that's how that game kind of went. They started fast against Bowling Green then finished fast. And then who was the other game? Tennessee Tech. They just blew them out. So I think that is a concern. I also think Tennessee's defense is a concern because Tennessee kind of got Missouri in a web. I've seen Missouri win, and I said this earlier, win shootouts before. But, you know, when you look up and it's 28 nothing Tennessee and Missouri's had the ball for 11 minutes, you know, it means Missouri's driving it, but they're not punching it in. Uh, and that can be problematic as well. You know, you want to win the time of possession against a team that goes this fast, but if you're not stopping them, it's not going to do you that much good. Um, all right, so on to Wed Pidgey. This was discussed in a thread on TBS, but what say you? Was it an incomplete pass? Uh, he's talking about the Brown fumble. You maybe, yeah, I don't know. He kind of flipped it up and behind him. It'd be a judgment call. I don't know if they were looked at that or not uh, in Birmingham. Um, you know, after the Brown interception, which baffled me that they didn't make the right call there, uh, you know, who knows what to expect. Some of the replay decisions this year have left a lot to be desired uh, around the SEC and college football. So that's, uh, that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I, that's <clears throat> that's my take on that one. Thomas Brady says, I don't know what the rest of Game Cut Nation took from Saturday, but after watching both Georgia and Florida, I feel a little better about our offense and a lot better about our defense. I know it's not apples to apples, still a good Saturday. And, you know, I don't know. Defense has to clean up the third down. I mean, you, this is how you you slow a team that goes as fast as Tennessee is you get the hell off the field. You know, easier said than done, I think. Uh, but you get them off the field, you force them three and outs. They're not running clock. You're running clock. You're wearing out their defense. And eventually, if you keep stopping them, their defense is going to wear down and, and you're going to have some opportunities, hopefully. I don't know about this defense or this offense. Um, but, yeah, Georgia, uh, when you think about it, South Carolina actually moved it as well as anybody against the Bulldogs. Uh, but that was – that game against Arkansas, you know, you have to think first and foremost, and 
I know you're using the transitive property and it's, it's fun to do that um, to compare scores, but, and believe me, I've, I've been guilty of that before too. It's a losing proposition in college football because every game's different. I mean, who, you know, you kind of look at some of this, I mean, you know, Kentucky, for example, beat Florida by more points than they beat Tennessee Chattanooga. So, you know, it's just one of those things, but, um, you know, you, you look at it though, and South Carolina did play better against Georgia than, or, you know, it, it wasn't good, but it, it was better than any other team. They've, they're still the only team that scored a touchdown against the Bulldogs this year, albeit late on a pass to Josh Van. Um, and, you know, I, I think the problems on with the South Carolina offense are what we've been discussing here. And I, I just don't, I don't know that it's realistic to think anything at any time this year offensively is going to be picture perfect. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to be negative about it, but I just, uh, you know, you, you go through five games, same old, same old stuff. Uh, it was the same result Saturday with one touchdown, but it looked a little different. So that maybe gives you hope. But, um, you know, Carolina's got to find a way to put more points on the board. Uh, and I keep saying find a way to run the ball. It may not be that they can. Um, so if that's, if that's the case, you know, bombs away and you take your chance. You just may be a passing team. It's not ideal with this personnel. But there, there's enough guys that can make plays in the passing game to where if Luke Doty's on and, you know, playing out there, battling, then, uh, you know, making plays, then, then I think it can happen. I mean, you know, and, and it can be efficient. I don't know if it's ever going to be explosive. Josh says, Maybe I'm just old school, but it drives me up the wall to see these players try to prick up a fumble rather than fall on it. I understand players want to make plays, but recovering a fumble has way more success than returning a fumble with it for a score. Josh, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, I don't mind Jamar Brown picking up the ball. I, I mind him fumbling before he crosses the goal line. But, uh, you know, I, I think what you're probably mentioning is Damani Staley picked it up and fumbled it before Brown recovered it. And, uh, yeah, if Brown hadn't recovered it, that would have been a bad move by Damani. But, uh, you know, heck, I'll say this. The defensive mentality, I think, is to outscore the offense in games. And um, this team needs touchdowns any way it can get. So I don't mind it so much, although I agree with your your point in general. You know, it's much better to fall on it, give the offense the chance and have the possession than to fumble it back to the other team. But uh, right now, shoot, I don't mind. I just, you know, you got to get points any way you can on the scoreboard. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Ducati says, hello, JC. Hope all is well. I'm good with you and the family. Thank you for asking. It is. My question is, do you think with the run game, it would benefit more, Kevin Harris especially, with fullbacks or pullers in front of him blocking, like it seems like we did most of last season? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't, you're not just lining up and making things happen. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of, yeah, I, I just think they have to find a way to run the football. And, uh, you know, Jaheim Bell, I think, is a great football player all the way around. I want to see him get the ball more. But I also think he's been one of the best blockers on the football team. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, if you can get him clear in the way, you can use Harris there with Lloyd or McDowell behind, you know, that kind of thing. Kevin Harris is actually pretty good with a lead blocker. 
and Adam Prentice did a good job of blocking for him last year. It wasn't on like the eye formation and things like that, but they did have that extra blocker and it did work obviously last year, but you know, we could talk about last year over and over and, and talk about Kevin Harris and his numbers and, and all that, but you have to keep in mind, too, a lot of teams played defense last season. And so Kevin uh, ended up, um, you know, he was, I guess, second in the SEC in yards before contact, which shows me this team can block, you know, uh, because it shouldn't be, you know, you, you, you shouldn't go from leading the SEC and rushing to not being able to go two feet. Um, so it should be better, I agree. But, you know, I don't know that Carolina could have expected to line up and have the same run game it did last year, considering people are playing defense this year. Um, but I, I don't, you know, to, to the reverse of that is I don't think that's the primary problem that people are playing defense. I think there's issues with Carolina completely. Um, on offense. I, I think Carolina's screwing themselves, to be honest with you, when it comes to the run game and the offense in general, whether that's players, coaches, whatever. All right, so Carolina Faithful has said, waiting for the next podcast to drop. Appreciate you there, certainly, uh, listening to the podcast. It's really cool. All right, Tristan uh, comes in. And he's like, I heard you talk about brunch. On Saturday mornings a few times. Yeah, I'm planning on brunch this weekend um, before the game. Uh, I like steak and eggs. I go the steak and eggs route uh, in the fr- on the Saturday morning brunch thing. I got a uh, place I go has really good uh, steak and eggs. So like that, a couple of uh, maybe a Bloody Mary to start with, that kind of thing. So it's uh, it's good. I'm not really into the heavy sweet brunch stuff like the pastries and stuff. A lot of people like that. I'm not into that. But uh, good old steak and eggs, maybe an omelet. Uh, that's kind of a good brunch deal. You know, maybe a carving station. That would be good if it's real super fancy. You have to take advantage of the carving station. Uh, so that's my deal there. Thanks, Tristan. Always enjoy your uh, your emails. Please keep emailing. Andy says, granted, I shouldn't fire off a question during the game, but can you address in your next mailbag segment your thoughts on the level of undisciplined play and players not holding on the ball when crossing the end zone? Like I said before on that, Andy, if I hadn't seen it on all levels of football before, I would probably be a little more outraged. But um, it's unfortunate. It's embarrassing for the player. But I've seen it happen. Um, he goes, it's ha- it happens way too often. The lack of discipline is troubling. I, you know, people, uh, people have started to beat up a little bit on Shane Beamer because of the discipline. And then there's all kinds of like conspiracy theories about it, that he's too nice and all that. I, I can tell you without him, out of the shadow of a doubt, the staff is just as demanding as the last one or the last two, you know, they don't really tolerate it. You know, they talk about it. Um, but, you know, penalties at times sometimes ebb and flow uh, during the course of the season. You clean it up. You don't have a lot of uh, dumb penalties. Uh, but it, it's, it's one of those things kind of like turnovers. You don't know when it's going to hit and when it's not. So you don't really depend on it. Uh, I can tell you under Will Muschamp, this team, this program year to year really was not penalized that often, you know. They they really 
did not get a lot of penalties, and I guess it didn't really contribute that much to winning and losing, especially in the last three, last two years. So, um, so I get it though. I mean, it's frustrating to watch, especially when things aren't going well. I kind of liken it to the Luke Doty incomplete passes, or when he misses a receiver and everybody goes nuts. Uh, I think it gets magnified because the offense is very pedestrian and can't move the football consistently. And so any little thing is like blown up. Um, And then Andy goes on to say, is this something a determined Beamer can correct or will this threaten and erode any positivity or culture he is establishing? Nah, I don't think it's there yet, man. The, The culture and all that, you know, Beamer protects that first and foremost. And so, you know, making mistakes in a football game isn't necessarily going to erode the culture. I think what would erode the culture is selfish play, discipline problems, guys quitting, which this team has not quit. This team's not even close to giving up. You know, it hadn't always been pretty, but they, they, there's no effort issue out there. Uh, so I, you know, th- th- those are the things you have to look for when you have a bad culture. Um, and also, and I know Ortre Smith hit the transfer portal this week, but when you have a bad culture, players tend to leave at the first sign of of, of adversity. In Ortre's case, um, that's not, you know, the lack of playing time this year, which is why he left, was not the first sign of adversity. He's been through adversity over and over again at South Carolina. And uh, quite frankly, I was surprised he stuck it out that long. You know, it's unfortunate because he got a uh, he got a nice well. He got a chance to catch a touchdown. Uh, I don't go. I guess, I don't guess that throw was all that good. He was a little bit covered uh, on Saturday, so I felt bad for him there because you know he's the type of guy that you you pull for that you want good things to happen. But uh, when the culture is bad, you'll see guys entering the portal like for no reason. Like what, what's he doing? You know. So that that kind of thing. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. It's, I know it's frustrating to watch Andy as a fan, but uh, I wouldn't make it out of something uh, bigger than what it was. Patrick says, leaving the game even more frustrated than it was going in. Beamer's preached discipline all year, and this team flat out does not have it. Inexcusable holding plays and false starts for an offensive line who still looks clueless five games into the season. A wide receiver blocking a blitzing corner in the back calling for a fair catch and muffing it. Yeah, that was Amari and Brown. I wonder how much his wrist played a factor there. And dropping the ball on the one on the one should be inexcusable for any team almost halfway through the season. Two questions for you. If Carolina were to fire Greg Atkins, when do you think they would make the move? Uh, and to me, you return a unit of four starters and leading rusher in the SEC, but halfway through the season, you look lost. Also, I know Carolina returned some season veterans on offense this year. One of them, not calling him out by name, called for the ball on a fourth down play, and the ball went right throughout his hands. At what point is it the next guy up? I thought E.J. Jenkins looked especially good on the field this week. I think we're beyond the point in the year where, you know, as far as next guy up, where you can afford to just stick with people who are ineffective uh, when you have people that look like they can be. And so in that case, I'm all for Jenkins playing over some other folks. Uh, Firing any kind of coaching change, I think, would probably be at the end of the year. 
And I know you see Auburn fired its receivers coach and Missouri fired its D-line coach. I mean, there's probably other reasons for that. Um, obviously, when things aren't working and you reevaluate your program as a head coach at the end of the year, you need to make the changes that you, you want to make and evaluate the whole thing. But because they're in their first season, uh, I think they're just going to try to fix what they've got. I don't know if that's possible. But uh, I certainly don't think Greg Atkins is beyond criticism, nor is Marcus Satterfield uh, at this point. Uh, I did think the play calling was a little better Saturday against Troy. The result was the same, but it was better. And it kind of made you think, well, if they could bottle what they got first drive, first half, and then the last drive of the game and do that – Make it execute, and that'll be pretty good. As far as the mistakes go, yeah, it's inexcusable. Beamer needs to uh, continue to preach it. I, I think that at times, when, like I said earlier, when things aren't going well, especially on offense, you, you get frustrated with it. I mean, you, you just, you know, wow, gosh, you, you know, you finally had some good things going. It's like you, you, you know. It's like you, you're suffocating and you get up to breathe and somebody puts the pillow back over your face. And I get it. It's very frustrating to watch. But, you know, all you can do in that situation is talk about it, emphasize it, try to play uh, disciplined football and, um, and go from there and just hope, it, hope, hope they clean up the mistakes. You know, mental focus. And, and like I said, too, if Carolina was going up and down the field on offense – and they were able to overcome things like that. In other words, you know, you get a 10-yard penalty, all of a sudden it's second and 20, and you keep converting it, you know, you can, all right, well, we can throw this 15-yard pass and then run it and we'll get a first down and we'll be fine. Then that's different. But right now they're not doing that, and so it's very, very magnified. Every little thing is. But I don't blame you for your frustration, Patrick. I mean, there's there's – there's there's off there's teams you know that have offenses or defenses that struggle and you sort of know why because you're like well you know they just don't have these players or they don't have this or that and 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 I get in this debate with people all the time because there's a school of thought out there that the offensive line is just full of guys that can't play and, and look I, I would agree because they look like they don't they don't like don't, don't know how to play right now right. I would agree if we haven't seen every one of these cats play better, number one. And number two, you know, I would also agree that, you know, maybe they're just getting used to the new system if we hadn't seen them, you know, before the Ole Miss game last year, put in an entirely new blocking scheme and and run it really well. And I don't care if Ole Miss's defense was bad because, you know, being bad or being good has not mattered you know, again, it hadn't mattered whether they played a good defense or bad defense this year at South Carolina. It's been mental. You know, East Carolina is not a juggernaut on defense, folks. Uh, they're a good football team. They're a better football team than people give them credit for, you know, but they're not a juggernaut defensively. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and I think Kentucky's defense had a good game against Florida, but shoot, they gave up a lot of points against Missouri and Chattanooga and all that. So it would be a different story uh, if they just looked bad against the teams of talent and then could hold their own against the other teams. But even against Eastern Illinois, they had some problems and with a huge advantage in talent. So I'm just not 
going to ever buy the fact that it's talent and they're going to, cause if they have to recruit their way out of this, it's two or it's two or three years because there's so many offensive linemen on scholarship. You got to, you got some young guys too, that Wolf left behind. And so I just don't, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I don't necessarily know that you lay it all at the feet of scheme as far as Saturday, because it looked so much like there were more individual mental issues or sorry, mental, mental errors. I don't want to say mental issues there, but uh, you know, I, I, it's, you know, the, these guys, we've seen all of them play better, you know, especially in the run game. You know, I, I know the pass blocking was pretty average last season, but you know, running the ball, you know, they were able to do it, you know, and, and, and like I said, I know people are playing defense this year, unlike last year, but they shouldn't be that bad. You know, there's no, no question about it. Thanks Patrick for your email. Phillip says, JC, hope you had a great weekend. I was at the Troy game. It was painful to watch. Found myself pretty apathetic at certain points, but I've rewatched and have a few points you may have covered. The good, the defense. The defense continues to generate turnovers and play really fast and free. Clayton White is an excellent coach and he's getting the most out of the D, especially considering how thin they are in secondary at linebacker. When a pass rush is needed, Enigbari and Pickens and company have looked elite all year. I agree. I wish they'd have gotten home a little more against Troy, but Troy, Chip Lindsay accounted for that in that game. Well, hey, you got to get this. In other words, let's call it a third down. We know they're going to come after us. Let's call quick pass off. You know, so so I think I think a lot of those times were just like, and sometimes this happens, good call versus bad call, you know. Let's let's rush. Oh, we're gonna throw it to the open space, and that happens. The bad on defense, the misfits in the run game, at key points by linebackers in games we don't generate turnovers. I worry we'll struggle to keep points off the board. That's a concern. The run fits are a concern. I'd like to see him play Mo Cabo a little more. I think athletically he's pretty good, but then again, that's not really run fits. Run fits are gap assignments and stuff like that. But Mo's a little quicker than Damani. Staley out there. Um, and, you know, I think Brad Johnson, you know, somebody on the message board had said the other day that he's not good unless he blitzes. And I think he can blitz and that's a strength of his, but I think he stayed at home enough. You know, I, I, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, and I agree the run fits have to happen. The good on offense, I mostly like the play calling and how Doty spread the ball around. EJ Jenkins, he's more stabs agreed. Bell needs more snaps, assuming he knows what play we're running. Agreed, and he hadn't had an issue with that. I know the routes have been doubled up a couple of times. McDowell continues to play well. Need to continue to spread the field. We ran effectively out of the pistol formation, especially on outside runs when pulling guards. Interesting point there. And, yeah, and the pistols, something a lot of teams use to get going. Uh, and I know Shane Beamer likes the pistol, too. I, uh, I remember having a conversation when he was a uh, an assistant at Carolina, off the record about some things, and he was talking about the pistol. Then he ran it at LSU in 07. He liked that. Pistol works. Pistol works. The battle on offense, the section could be 10 pages long. I frankly think the DK Joyner experiment could end. He's 50-50 catching the ball. Agreed uh, with Joyner, and it sucks but because he's a good, hardworking kid. Again, a kid that could have given up. He hasn't. It may be time to have that conversation about going to the second secondary, though. Maybe it's safety because, you know, I don't – receiver's not working out, 
obviously, if he wants to play after college. You know, quarterback was something that wasn't working out um, because of passing. And I'm not saying in the right scheme, like let's say he left after this year, went to the portal, if he went to Louisville, someplace like that, even a coastal Carolina type of place. I'm not saying quarterback would not work out for him on the college level. If he wants to go to the NFL, though, I think, you know, you kind of look in the secondary, they need athletes over there. And uh, Joyner could be a guy. I mean, he's big. He can hit, hopefully, physical. Uh, He's got good instincts, you know, on the football field. Uh, Not a burner fast, but fast enough to play that position. Knows offensive football. You know, it may be time to have that conversation. I mean, I know that that's not something he's wanted to do, but that could do it. Jalen Brooks continues to have similar issues, and it can't happen, although athletically he's quite gifted. I agree, and Brooks, I don't think, had a drop against Troy. Had a couple of nice catches. Try other guys and keep hitting Jenkins and Bell. Marshawn Lloyd is not getting room, but also not seeing holes at times. Yeah, you know, with Marshawn and, and Kevin Harris both, uh, you know, and it was mentioned that they may be a little rusty. I think that's the good way to describe it. Uh, but, I, you know, Marshawn, I, I don't know. I mean, I you know, there were I think there was a play Saturday. I only got three carries. There was a play where I kind of wish he'd cut back and saw it a little better. There, there was a hole slightly. Other than that, he just hadn't gotten any room. I mean, you know, and he's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do. His production keeps going down. Um, quite frankly, I, he probably needs more than three carries to get lathered up because anytime you're coming off an injury, you haven't played football in a while. And I think maybe Kevin Harris too, you know, you, you need the ball and you need to kind of get into a groove as a running back. That's also hard to do though, because there's no room. So you make a good point there. Uh, Kevin Harris and Lloyd are struggling to catch passes. That's true. I, you know, lost some drops there. Need to run more shallow crossing routes and dig route concepts. A lot of teams are sitting in cover, too, relying on our offensive line to miscue. I love the bootleg high-low concepts. Doty needs time. And the bootleg, they, they did that on purpose. They put that in practice this week. It's on film now, so it'll be interesting to see, like, how Tennessee defends it. But that gives Doty some time, and that's kind of where he's at his best. Uh, he's like, Doty needs time. It's unreasonable to expect him to make the throw perfectly. You got to find two or three base run plays that we can block and run those more. It seems like it's stretch plays, buck sweeps, and power plays that are opening up. Agreed. You shouldn't have so many zero yard gains against inferior competition. Those are unforced errors by the Gamecocks. That's true. Phil says, Sorry for the long email. There are multiple wins left on the schedule. You can't score one offensive touchdown a game. I hope we improve. Thanks as always for doing the pod. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate that. Tim says, thought play calling was better this week. It was nice to see us throwing all first and second downs and thought it would open up the run game. Well, that didn't happen. That all O-line is so disappointing. You've said last year was the year of offense with it being COVID and defensive struggles. Was last year's running game the results of defenses being bad? At first, I didn't think so, but I'm beginning to think it may be your thoughts. I think it had a direct impact on Harris being able to run up the yards he did against three or four teams because those defenses just, they weren't, they didn't want any, you know. Uh, Do I think that 
that should have equaled the struggles Carolina's had running the ball this year? Absolutely not. Um, I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But, uh, yeah, when they started throwing it at the beginning of the game, I thought, well, heck, this is probably going to open the run game up and then just miscue after miscue. Finally, at the end, though, when they had to go down and get the field goal, Harris had some runs, McDowell had a run. You know, McDowell's last little 13-yarder there at the end was was very important, in my opinion, because, you know, at the time you were at the 32, that's about a 50-yard field goal. Parker White's been money this year. But anytime you kick a field goal that long, I'll just give you a hypothetical. You could be in like a kick six situation where maybe somebody gets a piece of it. It's a little short. The other team gets it, runs it back. But the way things were going during that game, you know, you just never know. So I thought McDowell's run there to set up the the, the length of the final field goal was huge. You know, so you got you got to kind of build on that, I think, if you're the Gamecocks. And I don't know if Troy was just worn out or or what. But certainly, Carolina was able to run it more effectively uh, down there toward the end. Um, thanks, Tim, for the email. Dr. Rob, JC, thanks for all your rational takes and honest opinion. I have a question concerning the O-line. I've always been under the school of thought. If you're going to have a chance to be good on the O-line, you better be at worst solid and at best strong at the center position. I'm not going to call out players, but much champs first two years – uh, our first three years, yeah, our games versus Virginia and North Carolina. I thought our, a lot of our offensive line problems stemmed from being undersized and inexperienced in that position. Yeah, that was Hank Manos both times. And Hank didn't play that well, and he got replaced. This year, our center seems to have regressed mightily from last season. Is there an injury he is dealing with that we are unaware of? Is the system putting too much on him, in my opinion, until we get a at least average play out of that spot? the offensive line is going to continue to struggle. I'm not trying to scapegoat this young man, but something is off at that position. Would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, Douglas hadn't played as well as uh, he did last year when, you know, you never really heard much about him because he was just so solid and consistent. Eric Douglas is a fifth-year guy. Um, I, you know, I can't explain the plays where he gets beat a lot and, and where he looks confused. Uh, I know, I guess he's calling the protections and all that. Um, You know, whenever we talk about this, though, Dr. Rob, all roads lead to confusion, in my opinion. Um, Now, I'm trying to be fair because Saturday, you know, you had some individual guys that, that, you know, made boneheaded decisions or got beat or whatever. But there's still – that doesn't change the fact, you know, so, so I'll, I'll toss some of it on the players for, for Troy. That doesn't change the fact, though, that these guys used to not play this way. And that is a, sign, a telltale sign of confusion uh, and tentativeness based on worrying about making a mistake. And when you're worried about making a mistake and you play tentative – most of the time, you're going to make those mistakes. Does that make sense? Uh, in sports in general, you're always better off if you can play free. And so I, I think that, you know, is the concern still with the offensive line. And, and I think, too, I, I just go back to Joe Von Gwynn's quote 
in the preseason when they were talking about it and they were like, you know, lining up and just hitting somebody and running the football. He's like, we're good at that. We can do that game because they were talking about him getting better at pass blocking and all that. So if they can do it and you've seen them do it, assuming you reviewed film from last year, which most of the staff has done and they say they can do it, you know, I think it would be encouraging for the O-line if you sat there and said, all right, well, we're going to put in this power play, you know, and you guys just go knock somebody in the dirt, mano a mano with a lead. You know, you almost have to get creative by going old school, I think, at this point. And look, maybe you're still not a juggernaut running it, but at least you feel better because there's holes and you can take your chances and you can get some yards. You know, if this particular – I mean, maybe down the road with this offense, you, you're more of an inside zone team and all that. But, you know, you, you inherited this team from another staff, so most of it. And so, you, you, you know, some years, especially in your first year, you got to design it to fit your strengths um, or adjust it to fix your strength because certainly wasn't designed that way. And so all roads to me – lead to confusion now is that what's happening on every play i don't know i just i've just never seen guys that the guys that are out there you know have their fundamentals escape them you know stand up straight when you know obviously you need leverage not be in a good football position with their legs too close together that's all you know when, when your fundamentals escape you as a, as a player in any sport it's usually because you're overthinking um, and again, I would say something completely different about it. Uh, these guys just aren't very good or whatever. If we hadn't seen them do it before for several years. Um, now some people will look at it and go, well, they weren't all that good and blah, blah, blah. And you know, they lost all these games. Yeah. But we're not talking about winning and losing. We're talking about good offensive line play, average offensive line play and pathetic offensive line play. And right now it's the last of those categories. You know, so that, that that's my thing there. I mean, some people just want to throw every single thing into winning and losing, and that that is the most important thing, no question about it. But, shoot, man, you know, it, it's not like we've never seen these guys be at least competent. Again, not the 95 Nebraska Cornhuskers, but competent. And so that's, that's kind of what you're looking for. But all roads to me still lead to confusion, Dr. Rob. Drew says, thanks for your takes on the offensive struggle. It appears against Troy, we were able to move the ball better, but scoring in the red zone was an issue, and hopefully that will improve. I don't watch a lot of NFL games. I'm an SEC all-day Saturday viewer. But occasionally when I do watch the NFL, I notice there isn't a lot of a lot of scoring. I got interested in this and found that the average NFL points per game was 24 in 2020. In 2020, the NCAA, it was 30. Yeah, keep in mind defense – Currently, if you're scoring 24 points a game, you'd be 14th in the NFL in offensive scoring. College football, you'd be 78th. It appears NFL is very methodical on offense to compensate for very talented defenses. My question is, even if this offense clicks, does a methodical NFL offense in college have the ability to compete with the common spread that goes no huddle and utilizes explosive plays for quick scoring? Thank you for your time and keep living the dream, Drew. Well, there's a couple of things to unpack here, Drew. First and foremost, NFL offenses don't score. I mean, it's, it's a league where everybody's good, and you have to be very, you have to become very complex 
uh, in the NFL. Uh, and an example is, is why didn't Steve Spurrier work out in the NFL? Well, his offense, yeah, he kind of figured it out. You know, he didn't, you know, in college, he kind of sit back there and, you know, send, you know, flood the pattern, uh, run the fun and gun, run the draw, and he'd get by with it. Um, and it wasn't just because he had over better talent than everybody else. It was just you can attack college defenses in different ways than in the NFL. The NFL, you got to have checks for everything. You, you really have to – this is why the NFL draft – during the NFL draft, they give you a wonderlick test and stuff because um, you have to be kind of smart to get it, you know, because everybody's good. I will say that in the NFL, prior to about five years ago, yeah, and that's why I've always been like um, extremely against South Carolina running a, uh, a pro-style offense because it, you know, during that era, it was methodical, and you saw you saw it kind of catch up to some places, even like Alabama. You know, you they were kind of you know run the ball, play action, that kind of thing, and you saw how Nick Saban evolved. And you've seen other schools that have talent that have tried to do it, and it hadn't worked. That said, by design, this is not supposed to be. Uh, when all is said and done, a methodical offense. And, I, and I'll say this when, when you talk pro style. You know, you look at what the Chiefs have done. You know, that's that's a, that's one that can go up and down the field. You know, you have the Arizona Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury are moving the ball. You know, not every game they're not lighting it up, and you're right about the scoring. But there's – in that league, you know, they have been more innovative on offense than really in college in the past few years. LSU had such a good run in 2019. I think everybody started kind of maybe – and then Brady goes back to the league and they're like, man, you know, what you guys are doing is great. And, you know, not even looking at the Panthers so much, but kind of looking at that offense as it's come back to college since he left. And keep in mind, he did have a veteran college coordinator and Steve Ensminger there at LSU helping to guide that. And people give Brady the credit all they want. But Enzwinger was still there, and you know, he's 20, 30 years of coaching college ball, you know. Um, if you ever watched him play, Brady was kind of standing beside him, Enzwinger's charting it. They, were, they actually did it. Was a, it was a team. They worked together. And, and so now you look at Marcus Satterfield at South Carolina and then the two guys whose names – one of them's named Mangus, uh, Mangas, M-A-N-G-A-S, uh, at LSU coming back with that system in hand and they're struggling to run the football. Um, but I'll tell you the idea or the concepts behind this thing are not that it's some plotting methodical offense. That's not the idea. That would be insane to try to run that these days, especially at South Carolina when you're not going to really out talent the majority of teams on your schedule. It's either you're either less talented or equally talented most of the time. There's teams you are more talented. It, talent hadn't even mattered this year as far as the results of the game. Everything's kind of been about the same as far as offensive production. Uh, and, and so I, I think that, you know, there's two things at work here. Number one, uh, the more complex you get, the harder it is for college kids to learn because there's just not enough time like in the NFL. 
and then this particular system, borrowing a lot from Joe Brady, is one where, you know, it, it, it's not really set up to run the football. You know, and, and like I said, I don't know what they do with the, the Panthers running or not. Uh, I'm talking on the college level. And you think back as great as 2019 LSU was, you know, what was the, what, what did you see out of them when they played? Well, Burrow's dropping back. He's chunking it to those great receivers. He's chunking it to Randy Moss's kid at tight end. Uh, Joe Burrow himself is taking off running and getting yards. And then they're going to give it to Hilaire Edwards or Edwards Hilaire, whoever, and he's going to, you know, a little guy's going to find a crease. You know, they were they were not run game-wise anything like the LSUs of the past where you got these awesome backs and, you know, your Leonard Fournette's of the world and all that. Um, and so, you know, when I kind of started thinking about that this week, I'm like, well, it's interesting LSU's having the same problems. And, you know, those guys have come from the same place. LSU had high high expectations for their offensive line as well, you know. So so I think there may be some systematic things uh, going on with that. Now, they didn't hire Marcus Satterfield to come run Joe Brady's offense. The idea was a hybrid of things, and they do have some things that they borrowed from some other offenses and stuff at Carolina that they run. I think that the bigger challenge has been figuring out what to run. And the bigger challenge is figuring out what they run best because the answer is probably nothing. <laughs> um, but those are some things to keep in mind uh, when you're talking about the scheme. I, I don't I don't know that the actual ideas and concepts with the scheme are, are bad. I actually think, you know, some of the play designs are pretty cool and effective. Um the two questions you have to ask yourself is, is it too complicated to teach effectively? Uh, and then you got to, you know, look at the play calling. Uh, and I think that while the first four games of the season, play calling left a lot to be desired. And I could see where you would think it was a plotting unimaginative offense. I thought Saturday against Troy that did some different things. You got to credit Satterfield for adjusting, although the results were the same. Um, but, hey, sometimes you don't get the results. But uh, there were more reasons than play calling uh, that didn't get the results. And I'm not saying Mark Satterfield was perfect, nor did it, would I even call the game he called great. I'd say it was solid. But, you know, it would have been far more disappointing had they gone out there and done the same old stuff that they did against Kentucky. And I said this. I said I said during the offseason, the challenge for Marcus Satterfield is going to be don't try to put a square peg in a round hole. In other words, you know, in the NFL, you know, you've got your guys at your positions. Everybody has a job to do. College, especially with this team at South Carolina this year, there's a lot of guys that are your best guys that can do multiple things. And you've got to be creative enough to put them in position to do that to where your best players are on the field and, and you're not lagging. Now, that didn't, now, that's not offensive line. That's a different animal here. Um, but, you know, you've got a lot of versatile guys. Jaheim Bell, versatile guy. It's a Quandre White, who I think is injured. I'm, I'm going to check on that, but I, th I think he's hurt. I'm not sure why he hasn't been playing a whole lot. Versatile guy. Juju McDowell, versatile guy. Dakari and Joyner, theoretically, versatile guy. Um, Josh Van can carry it from scrimmage. So, you know, 
And college, in college, you have to do that because sometimes you're not going to, you're going to be a little light in one area or a little inexperienced in one area. And you can't just treat it like a pro team because you can't go trade for somebody mid season or, or you cut people or whatever. So uh, that's a challenge. And, you know, I, I think that when you look down and wonder, you know, the only big mystery to me has been Jaheim Bell and why they don't really target him more. But you you don't know. We don't know. I mean, he could have had some plays dialed up for him. Doty, maybe he was Doty's second option or first and he was covered. You know, you, just, you don't really know, you know. It's uh, I've said before, I've said before, it's not PlayStation. You know, you can't just hit the X button and it goes there. Um, so, so Bell will be the only one I'm sitting here going – you know, get him the ball more. Uh, EJ Jenkins, like I said, had a setback. Hopefully he plays more and more. I would I would do that. Uh, Amarian Brown has played more and more. But, uh, I, you know, Georgia Tech, what he did best was go deep. He's fast. Haven't seen a deep shot to Amarian. <laughs> you know, and he's frustrated. I think he's frustrated because he's he's not really, a, in my opinion, a bubble screen guy, uh, you know, right now. And so you, you really have to kind of, you know, tweak it. I, I don't know that the personnel use has been bad. Uh, and I would like to see Marshawn Lloyd get more carries. I know guy, I, I preached about it all week. Beaver said he had a good week in practice. He was in the game early, but was not effective three carries wise. And I think he dropped a pass too. Um, but like I said, everything gets magnified right now. I'd like to see him run. You know, if you can run Kevin Harris out of some kind of formation, be it the pistol, be it something with a lead blocker in the eye or whatever under center, however you want to do it. And Kevin's played that game before, and we all know it. And then Lloyd. I think in that type of situation could benefit as well. Um, the more I look at it, and it could just be the blocking, but the more I think both of those guys are a little bit rusty. Because you have to keep in mind, too, Lloyd missed all year last year and all spring. ACL injuries, not everybody's like Marcus Lattimore who can come back and you know be just as good that next year uh, running the ball. For the most part, and even then, it took Marcus till about the Georgia game, which I think was the fifth game of the year, uh, to really look good like he used to in 2012. Uh, and then he, he kept going on and on and on from there, and then unfortunately got hurt against Tennessee. Uh, so Marshawn may just be needing to get back in the groove. He may be a, a step off, something like that. Kevin Harris missed the whole offseason with the back and didn't really even start playing until East Carolina. So that may explain some stuff with him. Uh, you know, I think uh, that and the blocking, you know, it, it's just, it's hard for me to even pin a whole lot on the backs because of the blocking, you know, that, that, that it's just hard for me to sit there and be critical of anything. But, you know, I do think there's something to be said when you watch those guys in space a little bit, you know, like maybe they're not a hundred percent, maybe they're like 95, you know, but maybe that's enough, you know, especially when the blocking breaks down to where they don't make that extra cut or, or whatever and get bottled up. But who knows, who knows, who knows? Thanks for the great question, Drew. Really appreciate that one. And then Hudson, what's up, JC? 
I don't really have a question, but a side note. Watching Panthers-Cowboys game, and uh, Greg Olson was commenting. They went down pretty big in the third quarter, and Olson Olson harped a bunch on the bunch sets that Brady refused to get out of. They continued to run them, resulting in nowhere to run. And I didn't watch the Panthers game, guys, so there we go. Nowhere to run for the running back, little time for Arnold to operate. Sam Darnold to operate. Fast forward to the fourth quarter where they spread things out. They're moving up and down the field with ease. Just thought it was very interesting to watch and hear because I know that's been a problem with the Gamecocks this year and sat being part of the Joe Brady coaching tree. Hudson, very interesting comment. I'm not a fan of the Butch formations. Uh, I think they work. Gosh, where have I seen them work? Worked at LSU when Brady was there. And once you told me, I didn't watch the game, so I, and I would have certainly brought that up had I watched the Panthers and Cowboys. Um. You know, if it's not working in the NFL, I mean, but I, I don't know that it's never worked. The Cowboys just may have been playing better. Uh, I, I'm just not a fan of anything right now with the way this team's blocking that crowds the play area. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I think yesterday or Saturday when they spread it out, spread it out, spreaded, is spreaded a word? Spread is not a word, JC. Uh when they spread the ball out, um, it looked better and they operated a little better. Uh, and look, I, you know, bunch formation or not, whatever you want to do, that's fine. <clears throat> but I just, I'm just not a fan of that, you know. And, and I've seen it. Okay, so I, I saw it work at Alabama last year, some. But think about this, man. I mean, you've got Mac Jones. You've got a great offensive line. You've got three NFL receivers out there. You've got Najee Harris running the ball. I mean, you can do – you can basically do whatever the hell you want. I mean, you know, um, and Sark would run motion and, and some RPOs off of it and stuff like that. But uh, I, I, I just don't, I don't like it for this year's South Carolina team at all. And I'll have to watch more of the Panthers because, you know, I didn't really think about this whole LSU thing until – today or yesterday because I started reading that they're struggling to run it and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, they just came from the same place. Um, and then you pointed this out about the bunch formations there, but I, I'm just not right now, you know, maybe down the road they can, they can run it. But right now, you know, I would spread everybody out as much as I can, which I thought they did some on, for, on Saturday against Troy and that I think it worked. Um, and then, have some power run concepts out of that or either bring everybody in tight. I mean, you know, and you say, well, if you give away run with the formation, you know, you're going to be predictable and that's true. So what you do is you have a few pass plays off of it that you call. I mean, that's not, you know, and I don't know how to design that. I'm not an offensive coordinator, but uh, there's ways you can mask what you're doing and do it in any way. But that's an interesting observation, Hudson. Thank you. Those of you that, Watch NFL football, certainly appreciate that. I wish I watched more of it, but I do not. I watch the Bears sometimes. All right, Eric says, hope you're doing well. I keep up with most everything you are doing during the week and usually agree with you on most things. But while I do agree with some of the issues on the offensive line are to do with things being too complicated, it did appear some of that was corrected. And a lot of the mistakes were more just guys getting beat against Troy. Getting beat, yes, and you're right, and absolutely. That's why I kind of 
wasn't going to lay it all at the feet of being confused. But you have to ask your question. I mean, you know, when I look at it, there there were times where they just straight up got beat, just like happens in every football game, right? Then there are some where, you know, you're wondering why why is this guy trying to block standing straight up? Why are their legs two together? Why is this guy so slow? That kind of thing. Um, you know, that, that's my question is, yes, it was on the players. But uh, why? Why are the players doing it is my question. Now, I did think that, you know, they, they avoided things like run blocking during a pass play and, and you know, the, the really bad stuff. And so that's good. Um, I also feel like, and Eric goes on, a lot of the discipline stuff that people are putting on coaches like false starts and things like that are a little unfair because it seemed like a lot of those things happened under Muschamp and most of the players are the same. So is it really coaching? Um, I'm not saying – the penalties aren't coached. Like I said, penalties ebb and flow during the course of the year. You, you need to correct them and emphasize them. But South Carolina, a lot of the times under Will Muschamp, was not really tremendously penalized. There were years where they were one of the best teams in the league about penalties. Um, and if you look with penalties, you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily that you commit penalties. It's can you overcome them because – you know, sometimes Georgia and Alabama type teams are, you know, last in the nation in penalty yards. They, they do make a lot of mistakes. Got to be able to overcome them. I know penalties were a little better last year, but the year before, statistically, they were pretty bad. 2019, yeah, 2019, freshman quarterback. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I feel like these guys are Division One athletes who've been playing ball most of their lives. And at some point, the boneheaded plays just need to be owned by the players. I agree. And, and I'll say this, too, and I agree with you here, Eric. The, you talk about coaching all you want, but when it comes to penalties and stuff like that, that is, on, that is way more on the players. They know not to do it. They know not to do it. And it compounds the issues they're having. And it also is one of those other things. Like I said, all roads lead to confusion. Well, were these guys very egregious at holding and things like that last year, year before? I don't know. Yeah, probably not if you broke it down individually, but it gets magnified this year. And when you're confused, you're like, man, you know, and, and you still don't know what to do. And you're, you know, you're, you're about to get beat. You know, sometimes you just grab the guy, hope they don't see it. So also I was curious if your opinion changed at all about how the offense did against Kentucky since they were able to hold a Dan Mullen office to 13 points to get to 5-0. and No, that doesn't change at all uh, how I feel about how they played against Kentucky because they uh, didn't – they had a chance uh, with a little bit better plan, I think, to win the game with the turnovers they got, and they didn't. And uh, like I said before, I told somebody earlier this here on the show, don't use the transitive property. <laughs> Don't you? Because it because I could come back at you and say, well, then why did they give up? Why was Chattanooga able to run for 178 yards, and why was Carolina only able to run for 54? You know, it, every team changes week to week, uh, and that's the thing. That's why people, you know, although I will agree it is a bad matchup against Tennessee Saturday, you know, them scoring 62 against Missouri with the problems Missouri's been having. Uh, that's not something that should make you cower in fear. 
I'd be much more fearful of number one, Tennessee playing better on defense, and number two, Tion Evans, Tyon Evans, however you say it, the kid from Hartsville. It's playing well. Disappointing. South Carolina did not get him. Uh, but who knows what he would have done behind this offensive line this year. Uh, on another side note, since you were pretty confident they would lose, how about them Bearcats? Just giving you a hard time after your comments on JB and Goldwater. Always enjoy your input. Hope you have a great week. Hopefully a win against Tennessee and get the fan base fired up. They beat Tennessee this weekend. Uh, the tone will change quickly around here, I promise. <laughs> I just, you know, it's 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 tough to sit there and predict. I probably won't predict it, but uh, I don't care about being wrong about score predictions. And, yeah, I was uh, – surprised by that Cincinnati-Notre Dame game. I thought Notre Dame had really turned a corner with a win over Wisconsin, but really that was more of a, a not like a like a an isolated thing with this Notre Dame team this year. They've not been that impressive. So uh way to go. Cincinnati could make the playoff. We could see that for the first time. Darian says Z White is still leading the team in rushing and not touching the ball the last two games. Why are we not giving him the ball? I hope they find out about that or ask about it at the presser. Um, because uh, and, and he's leading the team in rushing because he had a 60-something yard touchdown run, the only rushing touchdown of the year against Eastern Illinois. They finished with 128 yards that game. You know, so I guess his other stats, he, he had some pretty good he averaged about six yards of carry and mop up duty against Georgia. Other than that, anything I don't know significant. I don't. I don't know. I, I would imagine as much as they like him, and have talked him up. I, I would imagine there's probably some sort of injury. I, I read somewhere maybe hamstring. Um. So hopefully we we'll get a good answer on that today at the presser. Mark says penalties, penalties, penalties. Seems like we can't get out of our own way at times with the penalties. Uh, penalties before the snap and after the whistle are unacceptable. Penalties during a play are at least understandable. Am I way off base on this? No. A lot of people are saying it. Now, look, let's be realistic. They, uh, you know, pre-snap penalties are going to happen. There's going to be illegal motion, that kind of thing. So it's uh, it's uh, it's part of football. I don't I don't think – there's a lot of teams that never have a motion penalty or an off, or you know, false start, something like that. It happens. Um, but you got to be better than that. And as much as the offensive line is struggling right now, you know, even if they are confused, uh, one thing you know, you, you kind of in life, uh, and I have some some friends that probably need to take this advice right about now. Control the controllables. And I know Will Muschamp said that, but that's not something that he came up with on his own. Control what you can control. So what can I do if I'm Ja'Kai Moore to play better? What can I do if I'm Dylan Warnham to help my team? Besides block and, you know, whatever, even if you're you're confused, Eric Douglas, those guys. I cannot false start. You know, it doesn't take talent or – it doesn't take, you know, anything but knowing the snap count to not jump. And so that would be – that would be the penalties, like like people said, that's a look in the mirror kind of thing uh, if you're a player. That that can much more be put on players than, than coaches, in my opinion. Because I know the coaches emphasize it, you know, all the time. 
One more on the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Thank you for all the questions. Please keep them coming in so we can answer tomorrow's episode, Thursday, Friday. I'll keep answering them all, all week. Mitchell, JC, hope all is well. Look at Tennessee's defensive stats. As of right now, they are ranked 52nd in total defense. They're allowing five yards per play and are 68th on third down percentage defensive-wise. Kind of makes you wish the Gamecocks had a better offense, right? With that being said, how likely is it that the Gamecocks move the ball well against the Vols on Saturday? Honestly, I think the offense has a good shot to score some points. And I'll be shocked if it doesn't happen considering the statistics. I think this is a game where it will be most likely a shootout, and the Gamecocks will need to score points if they want to win. Thanks for all you do, Mitchell. I don't think South Carolina is capable of winning a shootout this weekend. I hope I eat my words. Hope I'm wrong. I don't. But I'm right about things like that. I don't like being right. I like being right a lot, as you all got, uh, as you guys all know. But uh, I, South Carolina is going to have to score points any way they can, defense, special teams, offense. And then they're going to have to play – and it scares you because this defense has been good. They have not been what you'd call dominant. They've given up some run plays, given up some third downs, you know – what they're going to have to play is the best game they've played all year. Um, it's on the road in that environment. It is a noon kickoff, but uh, which means, you know, the crowd won't be crazy, crazy, but uh, like it would be at night. But, I, you know, South Carolina's defense is going to have to play the best game they've played all year, and they have to find, find a way to score points any way they can. Uh, I wish South Carolina was better on offense right now. If things had gone as planned and they were getting the passing name they are now and they were running the ball pretty well, I'd say South Carolina has a great shot to go up there and win, regardless of what Tennessee did. You know, because you're able to run the football effectively, you're able to keep their offense off the field, and then you're able to get off the field, you know, they're not going to go up and down the field on you, you know, like they did against Missouri. You got to watch out for the big play. But – you know, you're right. I don't I don't think ten, I think Tennessee's defense had one of their best games, maybe their best game of the year against an FBS opponent at Missouri. But they just sort of suffocated them, you know, when they got to a certain point on the field and Missouri was trying to go sort of slower to slow them down. And because Missouri was giving up so many big plays on defense, it didn't it didn't matter. Like I said, you know, you look at the time of possession into the first quarter, it's 28 nothing Tennessee. Missouri's had the ball for 11 minutes in the first quarter. You think that, you know, the time of possession, you're you're killing it. And that's what you do against a spread team that likes to go fast. You, you win the time of possession. Most of the time you're successful. But Missouri's defense was just giving up big play after big play. And so that's, uh, that's the issue there. South Carolina's going to have to try to bottle them up, play their best defensive game, not get out of gaps, not get caught up in, you know, giving up plays in the run game, tackle very well, cover very well, uh, get after the quarterback, force Hooker or Milton or whoever's in there, probably going to be Hooker, to make mistakes and then try to score on defense like you have in a lot of games. And, you know, special teams is going to have to do some stuff too. You know, it, it, points are going to be at a premium for the Gamecocks Saturday. As I said, I don't think this is a defensive juggernaut the Gamecocks are playing. But I do think they played well against Missouri, and I think they're certainly good enough to stop Carolina. 
um, if Carolina doesn't play better on offense. Thanks, Mitchell. Very good points. Thanks to iHelp Consulting for sponsoring the iHelp Consulting mailbag. It's awesome. And uh, we love it. We love it a lot. So Shane Beamer's press conference is coming up here in a little bit. Weekly press conference. Looking forward to seeing what he has to say. Have some talk and discussion about that. Uh, And more episodes this week. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. J.C. Sherbert signing off.